Good evening, everyone. Uh, we want to welcome you again to the September monthly meetings of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. Uh, this is our autumn conference. Uh, we had uh, the service, the broadcast this afternoon. We're welcoming, we're welcoming you to the evening meeting uh, of our autumn conference, and we do appreciate uh, your support. We, we thank you very much uh, for listening uh, to the broadcasts. We have been encouraged with how the Lord has been blessing and using uh, these messages, and not, not just uh, folk from uh, the United Kingdom that have been able uh, to listen, uh, but quite a few from various places around the world. And we're very encouraged uh, by that. We thank you uh, for taking the time to listen. We know that for some of you, uh, the time differences can be a little bit of a challenge. But we thank one and all uh, for listening to the, to the services, to the broadcasts. And our earnest prayer is that there'll be a blessing and that they will be used of the Lord. The opening hymn for the evening meeting is uh, the hymn, My Times Are In Thy Hands. My God, I wish them uh, there. Remember that the words come up on the screen uh, for each of the hymns. They're there for your benefit. And we do encourage you to sing along in the worship as we join together uh, in the singing of each uh, of the hymns in the broadcast. So we're, we're singing our opening hymn together, My Times Are In Thy Hands.
Let's just take time to turn to the Lord in prayer. We're very conscious of our need, our weakness. We need the touch of God. So let's bow together in prayer and call upon the Lord to come down and be with us and to be amongst us. Father, we bow in thy presence. We we enter in before thee. We come in the Saviour's name. And Lord, we have need uh, to make the same request of thee that the disciples made uh, those many years ago. We're, We're asking, Lord, that you'll teach us. And especially now, we ask thee to teach us to pray. Lead us on with thyself. Lead us on with thyself at the throne of grace. Deepen and strengthen our prayer lives. We pray that the Spirit of God will come down upon us. You've told us in your word that we're to pray in the Holy Ghost. Lord, save us from relying on our own talents. Save us from praying in the flesh. We want to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost uh, to be upon us just now. Pray the Spirit will prompt us, guide us too, uh, in the words that we use, the requests, the petitions uh, that we offer. We bow before thee in praise and in worship. We remember, Father, that all that we have, your hand has provided. You give us life and breath and all things freely to enjoy. There's not a blessing that we know in this world and in this life that has not come from your hand. We praise thee uh, today for every spiritual blessing. And Lord, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the day in our lives that we first heard the gospel. We're first told of Christ. Lord, we recognize how feeble we are in our praise and in our thanksgiving for the greatness of what you've done for us in saving our souls and in forgiving uh, all of our sins. We want to say in the words of that lovely chorus, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Pray, Lord, that you'll use each one of us, keep us from going astray, Uh, Keep us from growing cold and backsliding. Keep us from stepping out of your will. We pray that you'll ever keep us going on uh, with thyself. We pray you'll draw us closer uh, to Christ. We pray in the words of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Save us, Father, from circumstances where we would fall into sin that that would grieve thee uh, and bring repute even upon the name of Christ and the testimony of the gospel. Lord, we pray for your good hand to rest upon us. Keep us back from doing those things that are displeasing in thy sight. Thank you, Father, for the sovereign grace advent testimony. We're pleading for your very clear blessing to be upon it. Open new doors of opportunity to us. We pray, Father, for a greater interest uh, in the literature uh, that has produced a greater hunger Uh, for these great truths and doctrines that are found and taught in the Word of God. Thank you for the meeting this afternoon, the help that was given to your servant. We pray, Father, for uh, the meeting this evening. We bow in prayer to commit it uh, to thee. We're asking for help in every part uh, of this service, in the preliminaries, in the the, the leading of the meeting, but especially uh, for our brother, Mr. Humphrey, as he'll come uh, to open up the Word of God Uh, the testimony of Haggai. We think of the ministry that he had, that stirring ministry in Jerusalem uh, those many years ago. Raise up Haggai's father, we ask in in our day and in our generation. 
and we're asking you to help our brother as he will minister. Thank you, Father, for enabling these meetings to continue through the lockdown, the restrictions, these months of pandemic. Thank you for technology uh, that has been made available, that has even fallen out onto the furtherance of the testimony and the furtherance of the gospel. We're asking thee, Lord, just to, to use these message and use the broadcasts as they go forth, even all around the world. May they be a help and a blessing to many. So hear our prayers, Father. Uh, draw near to us. Uh, come and help us now. We acknowledge we need your help. Our help cometh from the Lord that made heaven and earth come to our aid. Uh, we ask of thee. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read together from the Word of God. We're turning to the book of Haggai. Uh, Mr. Humphrey has asked that we would read both uh, chapters uh, from the prophecy of Haggai. So we're turning to Haggai uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, and then we'll read right through to the end of uh, chapter 2. So let's hear uh, the word of the Lord. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much and lo, it came to little and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, 
and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, uh, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius uh, the king. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with a skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now, I pray you, consider from this day and upward, 
from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came uh, to an heap of twenty measures, there were uh, but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth, from this day will I bless you. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So we close our reading at the end of the book, the end of the prophecy, and we pray the Lord will be pleased to add his blessing uh, to this, the public reading of his word. We'd like to just take the opportunity to uh, make the necessary announcements at this time in the service. We want again just to take a moment uh, to express our thanks to you uh, for your interest in uh, these broadcasts. We do want to thank you for your ongoing support of this testimony of this ministry. I do be assured that that is uh, very much appreciated. We'd like to remind you that the latest edition of our quarterly magazine, uh, Watching and Waiting, is uh, available. This is the edition uh, that uh, runs from October to December uh, of this year, October to December uh, 2021. Remember that it's just five pounds uh, per year. We do emphasize that to you. But we'd like you to receive the magazine. If you don't have it posted to you directly as yet, uh, do see uh, our secretary, contact our secretary, uh, Mr. Toms, and he'll be very happy uh, to add you to uh, the mailing list. Just to highlight some of uh, the articles uh, that are contained within it, there's a message uh, by Dr. Sapphire, uh, you will know that we recently republished uh, Dr. Sapphire's uh, commentary, his exposition of uh, the book of Hebrews. So one of the messages uh, from that commentary is included in the magazine Christ and Israel. Uh, we want to commend that to you. Uh, towards the back, there's also a, a list of publications uh, that we'd like to highlight to you and a special offer just that I'll mention in a moment or two. So there's, there's some details 
uh, about some of our publications. And you'll also find uh, the, the uh, list for next year's uh, monthly meetings, uh, the, the meetings that in the will of God we're going to convene, uh, the theme that's going to be dealt with, and the various uh, subjects uh, that will be taken up from uh, month to month. So we want to make you aware of that uh, as much in advance as possible. Take a look at that, and uh, please keep those meetings in mind and pray for the Lord's blessing uh, to be upon them. Remember that we do have bound volumes of uh, the magazine, and the latest bound volume, number 29, is available. This is from 2017 to 2020. It's priced nine pounds. Just to highlight again that we do have a special offer. In the bound volumes, you can have any three uh, for 20 pounds. So if you'd like three of this volume, you can have them for 20 pounds. Or if you'd like some of the back volumes to help make up the sets. So any three is 20 pounds. So we, we want to remind you and emphasize uh, that special uh, offer. The bound volumes are very valuable. Uh, looking back uh, over the articles, the subjects that have been dealt with, if you like to uh, consider a subject or if something comes to your mind, brought to your attention, you have the opportunity to look back through all of this very valuable material to help you in your study and understanding of uh, the Word uh, of God. Just remind you again of uh, the, the new publication, Dr. Sapphire's uh, commentary uh, on the book of Hebrews. These were lectures that he gave uh, while he lived and ministered in uh, London uh, in the latter part of the 19th century. We're very happy uh, to have brought this book, this project, to a conclusion. It runs into almost a 1,000 pages. It's £18 pounds, uh, per copy. Remember that we're not really in the business of making money. Uh, that just about covers uh, publication costs. So we want to commend this uh, to you. There's a special offer, a special discounted offer for ministers and theological students. So any minister or theological student interested in this book, uh, contact us with regard to that. Uh, Mr. Toms or myself, I do have a quantity of them here uh, in uh, Northern Ireland. There's a short biography of Dr. Sapphire at the beginning, and there's also some pictures that will be uh, of interest to you that we've been enabled uh, to include uh, within it. So I want to highlight that uh, to you. Uh, there's a little leaflet that our secretary has produced uh, to highlight the volumes Israel and the Nations, the hope of Christ's second coming, uh, champion for the truth, and 1,000 Bible questions. Uh, each of those are five pounds, but the special offer is uh, that you can have uh, any four for 15 uh, pounds. So that's a very good offer indeed. Uh, give you an opportunity to be able to secure or to purchase uh, those volumes uh, for your, yourself. So if you're interested in those, any of them uh, singly, or the special offer of any four uh, for £15, uh, do contact Mr. Toms uh, about that. Just to remind you that the meeting next month is on Friday the 22nd of October at 7 o'clock in the evening. The subject will be the testimony of Zechariah. In the will of the Lord, I'll be speaking at that meeting uh, myself. Uh, we do still expect the meeting to be broadcast. Uh, do remember that matter in prayer for us, that the Lord will guide uh, very clearly. Uh, we'll keep you informed uh, with regard to the meetings if there's any change uh, to the format. But we do ask you 
to help us just in making the broadcast, making uh, the meetings known to your family, your friends, and to others in your fellowship uh, as well. We'd like to take just a a few moments uh, to make some chairman's remarks. I'd like you to think of words that are found in uh, the epistle of Jude, uh, the book before the last in the New Testament scriptures, uh, some words that are recorded about uh, the prophet Enoch. The scriptures tell us, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against uh, him. I'd like you to think of uh, the Lord's servant Enoch. Remember that he's one of only two men that we read of in the scriptures that were told uh, that he walked uh, with God. And what a testimony that is. Uh, I'd like to stress the importance of that uh, for every Christian. That should be a burden, a desire, uh, that rests very heavily uh, upon uh, your heart. Don't get taken up too much with this world, uh, with the things of this life, uh, that you lose out with God. There's no greater testimony that a person could have in this world than the testimony that uh, they walk with God, that they're in step with the Lord. Remember, to be in step with God, or to be, to be in step with God, you have to be out of step uh, with the world and out of step with uh, society. What I want to stress, especially we live in difficult days, uh, wicked days, the tide of evil in our land across the earth is uh, increasing. They're very difficult days to raise a testimony for God. There's, there's so much apathy. Even more than that, uh, there's increasing opposition uh, to the things of God. Of course, to the student of prophecy, those things do not take us uh, by surprise. The Bible says, remember our Savior in his great Olivet Discourse, that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We're living in such days. Iniquity is abounding. Uh, the enemy's coming in like a flood uh, all around us. So remember the warning of the Savior. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many uh, shall wax cold. We, we need to guard uh, our hearts. We, we need to make sure that, that coldness doesn't enter into our hearts, that we, that we don't lose uh, our first love for Christ and for his word and for the service uh, of the Master. Remember, too, that Paul writing to Timothy said, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, uh, deceiving and being deceived. So as, as the years go by, as time goes on, as the time of the end approaches, as the return of Christ draws near, uh, the Word of God foretells us that, that the times are going to, to become increasingly evil and increasingly uh, sinful. So the days in which we're found uh, do not take us by surprise. But what I want to emphasize uh, about Enoch and to encourage you is that Enoch lived in very evil days. It's, it's interesting 
In that little reference to Enoch there in the book of Jude, it's verses 14 and 15 uh, that we read from. Remember, there's just the one chapter in the epistle of Jude. In that 15th verse, the word ungodly is used four times. Uh, Enoch lived in a very ungodly world, a very ungodly time, a very sinful society. So it's good to remember that. It's good to to, to have that knowledge, that understanding. That's the backdrop to which you ought to consider those words that Enoch walked uh, with God. Don't think for one minute that the days in which Enoch lived were, were days of great blessing. Because if we read in the Word of God, we see that they were anything but that. But he was a man that lived in blessing. And I want you to be encouraged uh, by his example. I want you to see from what the Word of God tells us about it, it's possible to live with God. It's possible to live in victory, the Christian life. It's possible to walk with God, to walk closely and consistently uh, with God, even in an evil day. So regardless of the times in which we're found, don't, don't use those as an excuse. Don't uh, make them as an excuse for living a cold and carnal and careless Christian life and not serving the Lord as diligently and as faithfully uh, as you should. Enoch's life stands out clearly, stands out as a beacon in the Word of God that of a man that took every step uh, with God. He walked with the Lord, but he did it in an evil day. And that's a challenge, and it's an encouragement. Remember, the Word of God is a, is a two-edged sword. There's the comfort, there's the challenge. Well, it comforts us, and it challenges us. It comforts us that you can walk with God. It encourages us that we're able to do that. We can walk with God, even in these difficult days in which we live. And it challenges us as well, brings that challenge uh, to all our hearts. And I pray if you have been cold or careless in the things of God, that that will come as a very clear and sharp uh, challenge uh, to your heart today, that in the day in which we live, that our lives will stand out uh, for God, that our lives would be used to speak to others. Uh, we're to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works. So the darker the day, the clearer the light shines. So let your life shine uh, for Christ. Pray that the Lord will give you grace. Remember, that's the only way that you can do that. It's only by his power, by the power of his spirit, by the strength and help of God, by his hand upon you. And you can only have that strength as you feed on the word and as you wait on God in the place of prayer. So be encouraged. Be encouraged by the life of Enoch, brethren and sisters, that it's possible to live for God faithfully and to walk with God consistently, even in a dark end time age, uh, such as the one that, that we're uh, found in. Pray the Lord will bless those few remarks to your heart. The speaker at our meeting this evening is Pastor Martin Humphrey. Mr. Humphrey is the pastor of the Brixton Tabernacle in London. We pray the Lord will encourage him there, help him and use him as he ministers the gospel in that great and needy city of London. He is one of the committee members of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, and he's also one of our trustees, and we appreciate uh, all his support and his help with the work of the testimony. Pray the Lord will use him as he ministers uh, to us this evening. His subject uh, this evening is the testimony of Haggai. 
Now, just before he comes uh, to open the Word of God and to bring his message, uh, we're going to worship the Lord together again and sing uh, the hymn, Take the World, uh, But Give Me uh, Jesus. Tonight we're going to look at the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is unique 
because it's the only book where we have everything dated meticulously, not just to the year, which is in itself quite unusual, but even to the month and the day. The first three messages are roughly a month apart. Then there is a two month gap, roughly speaking, and then the fourth and fifth messages are actually delivered on the same day. These events take place in the year 520 BC during the reign of Darius the Great, Darius the First, not the Mede as in the book of Daniel. Um, we are some years after that. However, despite the fact that we have this detail, we have no information at all about the prophet Haggai himself. He is not mentioned uh, with genealogy here or elsewhere in the word of God. Darius the Great comes after Cyrus. Cyrus, you'll remember, had, the, had sent the people back to build the temple. He was succeeded by Artaxerxes and it was during his reign that we read in the book of Ezra that the work of rebuilding the temple stopped. We have this in Ezra chapter four. There we read that due to that opposition, he gave commandment to cease, to cause the men to cease, and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the kings? Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. Now, it is at that point that we have the first message from Haggai. So we can see that there is a direct result to the message that God sent by his servant. All of the prophecies of Haggai fall into this second year of King Darius. And so just to bring things to completion, he is mentioned again in 
Ezra chapter 6, at the concluding of the uh, building, so chapter 6 and 13, then Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, Shethabosnai and their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Ada, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So that is the background for this prophecy. What happened? Um, Haggai isn't mentioned again. Um, you don't read of him being there at the concluding of the work. But we do see there that the Lord blessed his prophesying as well as that of Zechariah. Well, our concern tonight is not just the, well, not particularly the historical side of things, but that which bears witness to our Lord. And Haggai has much to say about that. So, but we've seen how that first message was used to spur on the people. The first message then is from verse 2 to verse 10 in chapter 1 of Haggai. Uh, sorry, but to Verse 11. Verse 2, we read, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, The people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. What is the Lord's timing? And this is a question for us, isn't it? Are we looking for the Lord Jesus to come? Are we looking for him to come and build his house, his temple? The question that God asks in verse four, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Sealed houses is a, a slightly uh, Mysterious term, it perhaps indicates that the houses had some sort of ceiling. If we think about the old fashioned sort of ceilings, which were very elaborate, it speaks of ease and of luxury. A roof, of course, is essential, but a ceiling isn't. And the people were more concerned about beautifying and living it up, as it were, in their own homes, than in the house of God. Now we know that the king had put a stop to this, but the people were not, it seems, anxious to carry on and they'd just let things continue. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
we need to consider our ways. We need to consider our priorities. As a result of this lack of action, God was judging his people. He says in verse 10, therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. Now, the very fact that we are meeting or not meeting in this way and having to record this message is a mark of God's chastening and judgment on our land. It's a different format, as it were, from the way that the Lord was dealing with his people back in Haggai's time. But it is his work nonetheless. And we need to take heed. We need to look to him. We need to consider our ways, to consider our priorities and to look anew to the Lord and to his work. Well, Ezra says, as we've already said, that uh, as a result of the prophecy, there was action. And we find this in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. And as a result of that, the Lord speaks again by Haggai. Verse 13. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. It's a very simple, a very short, one-sentence prophecy. But what a wonderful thing. And notice, it's the Lord's messenger delivering the Lord's message. And those of us that are the Lord's messengers, how we need to ensure that we are delivering the Lord's message. Well, although it's such a simple message, what a great encouragement it is to us as well as the people of the time. It reminds us, doesn't it, of those words of the Lord himself. There at the end, just before he's taken up into glory, Christ said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I am with you, saith the Lord. Now, as Jesus says that, it, he says it uh, for the implication that we are to act, doesn't he? Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. 
and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Is that our concern? Are we looking to do God's work? Are we looking to enjoy that blessing of his presence? We need that, don't we? It is a daunting work that we have. And it is therefore the fact that we need the presence of God much more evidently. As Joshua is about to go into the promised land and as he takes over from Moses, we have repeatedly the same message given to him. God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. The Lord thy God is with thee. I am with you, saith the Lord. To Joshua, it's a personal message from Haggai. It's a message to the entire people involved in this great act of building the temple. But of course, we must remember that the temple was the place where the sacrifices took place. Without the temple, there were no sacrifices. Without the temple, there could be no true worship and no picture of salvation. So it is important that this is done to look, to give that picture of the coming of the Lord and of his salvation. And so even in these things, we are looking to that first coming of the Lord. But we look for the second coming as well. And as we come to the third message, we begin to see something of that. The third message then is the first part of chapter 2, and is from verse 2 to verse 9. The building is now started, but there is an issue. There are those who are upset. God says that the message is to come asking, verse 3, who is left among you that saw the house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Now, the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar was the remnants, as it were, of the temple of Solomon in 
fact, by the time it was destroyed, it was not in its first glory. Much of the gold had been sold off by different kings at different times. And there were all sorts of issues. But we find that on this occasion, in that seventh month, as the uh, work, the foundation was laid, we read in Ezra 3, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by coursing the praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were an ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Now, doubtless, some of that weeping was because of the Lord's mercy in restoring things. But it was also the fact that this building was going to be in comparison as nothing. Solemn. Solemn. The beauty of Solomon's temple. It was all done so magnificently. The stones prepared off site and brought there to be assembled in silence. The, uh, the gold covering everything. And yet, God says, the beauty, the ornamentation is not the important thing. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. So we, we have that repeated message, the message that we've just heard in the second uh, uh, prophecy. But again, surely as we remember the words, I am with you, it speaks to us of that great name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. God says in verse nine, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord. 
of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. It was in a time of war that that prophecy was given by uh, Isaiah to Ahaz. But then he speaks, doesn't he, again, of the Prince of Peace. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God's promising his presence with them, promising that presence to be in this new temple. The glory will be greater because it will see literally the Son of God walking in the midst. We have it spoken of in Psalm 85 as well, don't we? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. It is as he comes that peace and righteousness and his glory are made manifest. But we have some other prophecies as well. Verses six and seven. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, we know, of course, that the temple, as was the tabernacle, had been filled with that Shekinah glory, that glory that came in so that the, it was so bright that the priests could not stand to minister for reason of that cloud. But here, God says this house too 
will be filled with his glory. We are reminded of this shaking even as he wrought that salvation. You'll remember that there, as he gave up the ghost, there was that great earthquake which opened the graves. And then at the resurrection, there was another great earthquake. And those that had been woken from the tombs came forth and appeared unto many. But there is yet another shaking to come, isn't there? We're reminded of it in Hebrews chapter 12. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This shaking is to uh, uh, warn us to Alarm us to prepare us. It is a mark of the greatness of our God. In those parallel Psalms, Psalm 97 and 99, we are reminded of it, aren't we? Psalm 97, the Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness. And all the people see his glory. And then 99. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. Literally, let it stagger, let it tremble, let it be shaken. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The great God speaks to us. But there we are in, in verse 7. We are reminded again that the desire of all nations shall come. What a wonderful title the desire of all nations behold 
I will send my messenger. And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But then we read of that judgment, don't we? But who may abide the day of his coming. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He warns us, Malachi warns us again of that great and terrible day of the Lord, which shall come. Are we looking for this day? So many of the Lord's prophets speak to us of it, warn us of it. Do we take heed? The desire of all nations. Is he our desire? He was David's great desire, wasn't he? These last words. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by a clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. David was looking for this. David was longing for this. And he had this great wonder that God would indeed come and minister to him. That desire of his heart. Are we looking? Are we longing? Are we praying for these things? John, as Christ says to him, behold, I come quickly, says, even so come, Lord Jesus. Is that our prayer? It was also Isaiah who was speaking and looking for these things. At the end of chapter 59, we read, as God speaks, the fact that there was no man to stand in the breach, but he prepared one, his righteousness sustained him, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay 
fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands, he will pay, repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. This is that shaking of the kingdoms, not just the world, the literal world, but those that are in authority, those that are standing against, those that are, are refusing to act in the Lord's will. But then Isaiah continues immediately, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon me, thee, and thy words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. What a prospect. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. All the flocks of Kedah shall be gathered together unto thee, and the rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. I will glorify the house of my glory. This one of right, son of righteousness will come. And there will be that redemption. And not only as we read there, not only of Israel, but of the Gentiles, of the nations, those that turn to him. And we have, don't we, those pictures in Revelation 21 and in Psalm 86 of the nations, the kings coming. People are despondent. They know that they cannot build this temple as it was. But God reminds them, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, this is not harking back to Solomon's temple exactly, because you'll remember that it was covered in gold, not silver. Silver was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. But God here speaks of silver as well as gold. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He doesn't need our, our beauty, beautifying in that sense. He looks for us to do his will. And he looks for us 
to look and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the peace of his son, for the coming again of the Lord. Such is then the third message of Haggai. Now, before the fourth message, there is actually almost a two month gap. But in the middle of that, Zechariah brings his first message. We read there in chapter one and verse three, the Lord says, having been displeased with their fathers, therefore say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So we are reminded, aren't we? God had sent that promise that he was with them. But they needed to stay, as it were, with him. Where are our hearts? Are our hearts looking? Are our hearts full of that desire of the Lord? Is he our supreme desire? Is our joy to serve him? John says, doesn't he, his commandments are not grievous. David could say, I delight to do thy will, O my God. And that should be our response. Jesus says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Well, it seems that this warning from Zechariah was also taken note of and the work progressed and so a month after that this fourth message comes we find it in verses 11 to 19 of chapter 2 and it's speaking about the Details of the law. We read then in verse 13. If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. Chapter, in verse 12, the question is, if we have holy things, does that make what they touch holy? And the answer is no. Pollution, defilement, that corrupts. Sin corrupts all things. Remember that the message of the lepers, they were to be kept apart and the houses and the clothing with leprosy was to be set apart so that it wouldn't spread because it was contagious. And sin is contagious. 
so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. We need God's blessing. We need God's forgiveness. We cannot do these things by ourselves. And so we have that encouragement at the end. Remember that we dread about God's judgment being on the people at the end of the first message. But here in verse 19, is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. And so the people turn and are concerned with walking after the Lord. We pass over that message. It's quite a long message, but we pass over it quickly because it is not directly concerned with the coming of the Lord. But it does underline our need of his coming, of his redemption, of his forgiveness. But then later that same day, we have the second message. And the second message is just verses 21 to the end of the chapter. And it starts by reiterating what we have already seen in the second in the third message. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. Well, the first prophecy was primarily of the natural uh, world. But here we see an overthrowing of the kingdoms also. And that surely reminds us of that tremendous vision which the Lord showed to Nebuchadnezzar, which was interpreted by Daniel, there in the second chapter, we shall read from verse 42. You'll remember that the, the image had that head of gold and going down through silver and brass. And then we come down to the feet, which are part of iron and part of clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king 
what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. This speaks to us, doesn't it, of that coming of the Lord. He will come and it will be constant. The king shall come to pass hereafter and that kingdom shall stand forever. We have that reminder, don't we, in Psalm 102, that God is the same. Thy years shall have no end. But there will be that one who stands against the Lord. We are warned, aren't we, in 2 Timothy, chapter, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Paul says, I write that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of the Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the one that will rise up, the strength of the kingdoms of the heathens. Now it's interesting, isn't it? He says, I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. There is a uniting of the kingdoms and the kingdoms are strengthened by this one. Daniel, again, speaks of this in the 11th chapter, that last great vision. And there in verse 36, the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvellous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that, that is determined shall be done. We have these things spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. Again, that great figure which shall stand against the Lord. After the thousand years of the millennium are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. 
fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We've already had a glimpse of this in chapter 16. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that cometh and watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathereth them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And then we have this solemn aspect. I will shake the heavens and the earth. Jesus speaks, doesn't he, before that coming of the great tribulation of that shaking that there will be earthquake. But the time is not yet. But then immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Shaken again, you'll notice. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. God says, I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. There in Revelation 19 and verse 16, we read of the one who shall do so as he goes out to fight. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, 
as we come to the end of the book of, uh, we, we, no, sorry, um, in Chronicles, we are reminded there of the fact that there will be that turning against each other. Well, we have an example of it is what I'm trying to say. God says, I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. Now you'll remember that uh, we had that great trouble back in the days of Jehoshaphat. And he had no means of standing. And he cried unto the Lord, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Notice, well, it's often quoted as up unto thee. It's not, it's upon thee. We're looking to you, Lord. We're looking to you to act. We, there is nothing more that we can do. And then Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, he comes in the spirit of God and he delivers this wonderful prophecy. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And what do we find? He goes out and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, which will come against Judah. And they were smitten for the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to stay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude. And behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth. And none escaped. This great body that has come together ends up destroying itself. Zechariah has to speak about this too, doesn't he, in his last prophecy. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbour, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbour. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, of the ass and of all the beasts. That shall be in these tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year 
to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we have these great prophecies speaking of that which shall come to pass when the Lord comes again. And we look to that coming. But there is something else that we need to think about. It's perhaps the most difficult part of this prophecy on the face of it, because it's a rather strange words and it's the very last verse in that day saith the lord of hosts will i take thee o zerubbabel my servant the son of shealtiel saith the lord and will make thee as a signet for i have chosen thee saith the lord of hosts now i haven't actually spelt out who Zerubbabel is, but he was, of course, the grandson of Jeconias, Jeconiah, the last king to sit on the throne. He is therefore of the royal line. He is the leader of the people. However, he is not a king. He is the, he represents the uh, um, secular power, as it were, while Joshua, the high priest, is the spiritual power. But what does this mean? I will take thee and make thee as a signet. A signet. It signifies something which speaks of power. You'll remember that when Joseph was taken to be uh, with, to give him that power in Egypt, he was given the king's ring. He was there able to make what rules he could with the king's authority. Sorry, I've got the wrong chapter. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. Now, it was put, it was perhaps um, a, a mark of his authority, this great chain. But sometimes the signet themselves seems were worn as a chain. They were something to keep them safe. We have this 
alluded to rather less grandly, solemnly, in Genesis 38, when Judah goes to uh, the, the woman, Tamar, and she asked for a pledge, and she said, thy signet and thy bracelet and thy staff that is in thy hand. It was that which marked him out. It was a personal thing. And so the proof when she is discovered is that that is what is going to happen, that he will signify that this must be him that had done that terrible thing. When Daniel is placed in the den of lions, the king seals the, the, the den. The king seals it so that nothing can interfere with it. In the book of Esther, like with Mordecai, uh, like with Joseph, the seal is given to Haman. So whatever is enacted goes with the king's authority. Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring, and the letters were sent by posts. Later on, that is, of course, as it were, reversed. And the his ring is given in the same way to Mordecai. And so we find there in chapter 8, Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by posts on horseback and riders on mules, camels and young dromedaries. So it speaks of authority and power. I will set thee as a signet. Because of this, it was something which needed to be kept safe. The seal, once sealed, couldn't be amended. That was the great boast, wasn't it, of the, the, the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not, it cannot be changed. God was set as a signet, Zerubbabel. Now, what does this mean? 
it is almost certainly a reversing of what God had spoken by Jeremiah to his grandfather. There at the end of Jeremiah 22 in verse 24, as I live, saith the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence, and I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even unto the hand of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out, and thy mother that bare thee, into another country where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. And then write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So, in this day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, himself, the son of Kaniah. So it seems that there is, in a sense, a reversing of that curse. Now, however, there is no record of Zerubbabel becoming king. And God had specifically said that none of that Liain would be king. We see him listed in Matthew chapter one. He is, in fact, the last in that line of whom we have any information apart from the name. But surely, therefore, this reversing speaks of one who is to come later. One of Zerubbabel's descendants. I will say in passing that Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, is also mentioned in Luke's genealogy, although of different stock. And they and well chronicles give a different line of offspring. I do not understand that, but I point it out. However, as we come to these things, surely what we have here is a pointer that Christ will come of this line. He will come of the line of Zerubbabel outwardly, just as he had been promised to come of the line of David. We have several other aspects of this that we need to remind ourselves. What was sealed couldn't be changed. God says through Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And in Hebrews 13, we have that wonderful word, don't we? 
Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God has promised, what God has, as it were, sealed, cannot ever be changed. The seal was a ring. That speaks of belonging, doesn't it? We give wedding rings. The prodigal, as he returned home, was given a ring. The ring was put on his finger. And his clothes were changed. And there is perhaps there a, a parallel to Zechariah chapter 3. There we read of Joshua being clothed with filthy garments. But God says, take away the filthy garments from him. And later on, we read of the wondering as he brings forth his servant, the branch. Many think that that's a reference to uh, Zerubbabel. And certainly Zerubbabel is spoken of in the following chapter. But again, as we think of the branches, Report as recorded various times in Isaiah, it is speaking of one who is the branch and the root of Jesse. And so in chapter four, as we have those words of Zerub, uh, speaking to Zerubbabel, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. Well, it is Jesus, isn't it, who says that if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, we shall say to this mountain, be removed, and it shall be carried into the midst of the sea. And as Peter thinks on these things, we have those wonderful words in his, in the second chapter that we are to desire that sincere milk of the word coming as living stones being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood they were building the literal temple we are a spiritual temple wherefore also it is contained in the scripture behold i lay in zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they also were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, they have the seal, we have the seal, the signet of the Lord. May we look to him in these things. One final thought regarding this part of the prophecy. I will make thee as a signet, the signet marked the seal and in the song of solomon we have those wonderful words set me as a seal upon thine heart 
as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Many waters cannot quench love. As Gil looks on those words, he thinks of the high priest that ministered in the temple. He had on his breastplate the ephod over his heart, the names engraved on the stones. And on his shoulders, on those two stones, six on one side, six on the other, the 12 names again. It reminds us of that royal priesthood of which we've just spoken. Christ will come, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will come, our great high priest. He is our great high priest, eternal in the heavens. He is that prophet. So Haggai looks to his coming in all his fullness. May we do the same. May he indeed set us as a seal, as a signet, and may all our desire be to follow him and to look for him. To you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Amen. We're very thankful for these uh, autumn conference meetings, both this afternoon and this evening. Uh, we express our thanks to Mr. Humphrey uh, for his message uh, tonight. Uh, we pray the Lord will take it up and use it. Uh, we pray f- that the Lord will be pleased to come by his Spirit and uh, enlighten us, cause us to think more upon these things, and the Spirit might apply them uh, to our hearts. We pray that both messages will be owned of God as they've Uh, gone forth and that uh, they've gone forth so that many can hear them in different places around the world. Can I encourage you, if you've heard the broadcast today, if you've been encouraged and helped and blessed by them, uh, do communicate with our secretary. Uh, We'd be very glad to hear from you uh, wherever you're listening from uh, around the world. If you go on to our website, www.sgat.org, uh, you'll find Mr. Tom's contact details. His email address is there. So we'd be very keen uh, to hear from you. It would be an encouragement to know uh, that these meetings are being a blessing uh, to you. We're going to sing our closing hymn. Uh, we encourage you to join in in the singing of the hymn. It's the words, The Lord is coming by and by. Be ready uh, when he comes. Remember the challenge there uh, to be ready goes out to sinner and saint alike. If you're unsaved, you need to be ready by trusting Christ as your Savior. If you're a believer, you need to be ready by walking with God, as we emphasized earlier, being in his will, serving the Lord faithfully, occupying until he comes. John warns us that that we we shouldn't want to be ashamed at his uh, coming. So be ready. The Lord is coming by and by. Be ready uh, when he comes. Let's sing uh, our closing hymn together.
Let's just commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do lift our hearts to Thee with praise. We come with very thankful hearts. We have known the help of God today, and we want to praise Thee for that. We're conscious, Father. We acknowledge we're not sufficient uh, for these things. And we do thank you for the book of God. We ask thee for a greater love for it. We ask thee to open it to us. We cry out that which I see not. Uh, teach thou me. Bless both of these meetings, these broadcasts. Bless and use mightily both the messages. Remember all the printed messages, the magazine. O oh God, we're asking earnestly uh, as a testimony that you'll lengthen our cords and that you will uh, strengthen our stakes. Remember all our supporters in various places around the country and across the earth. Strengthen their hands. Encourage them. Lord, draw them, each one, closer to thyself. Use them, we pray, in an even uh, greater way uh, in coming days. So answer these, our prayers. And we commit ourselves to thee now, praying, you'll part us in thy fear and with thy favor. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit the Comforter be our abiding portion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.